a feminist, egalitarian, liberal, evangelical can use any kind of language he or she wants to come after a guy like Doug Wilson. But the minute, you know, white, cis male, whatever, <laughs> Christian does it, then, then it's out of bounds. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. We're recording this episode on Tuesday, December 5th, 2023. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here today, as usual, with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Excellent. Yeah, great, Nick. Thanks. So we're in the run up to Christmas. I think it was Hans Feeney who tweeted about this, and I think it was in regards to preaching Holy Week, not Christmas. But he suggested that preachers write the big sermon first, in his case, Easter, and then work backwards through the rest of the sermons. Do you all have any particular strategies for sermon prep this year now that we've got Advent 4 and Christmas Eve on the same day and Christmas Day the next morning? How do you do it? Hire an, hire an assistant. <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got two different people. I've got, I've got an associate preaching um uh admit four and then we have um another preacher um i, th- I think on christmas day so that's the plan there um, but i like the i like the feeny strategy though. that's a good idea to start with the easter sermon or start with the, with the uh, christmas day sermon. although i mean i don't know what you guys do our big service is probably christmas eve yeah even though I mean, we have a christmas day service but you know 20 people show up right. uh 30 people show up but I guess technically it is the biggest, biggest one. I don't know. Interesting. I, I like that idea. I sort of like the idea in theory, although in practice, I find myself certainly when we're in seasons like Advent or Lent or something like that, I find myself referring to previous sermons. Mm. So I'm like, at least in theory, leading the congregation through something towards something. Right. So I think I would naturally just want to write them in chronological order, even if yeah. The quote unquote most important one was at the end of that list. Yeah. The I, only time I really, sorry, good man. Sorry. I should have raised my hand. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, uh, I have we a hard time. We should say that Matt is a disembodied voice. Right. We, we, we do not vid- have video on Matt. So we're going to, we're, we no, we're not sure this isn't actually just AI. Um, <laughs> so we, we have no, we have no way to confirm or deny. <laughs> this is just a Matt bot. Uh, so. I have I have a hard time writing a sermon more than two or three weeks in advance. I mm-hmm. I, I can't get my mind into it. I think it's like the half the I, I I do best when I'm writing just one week in advance because yeah. I have the, just enough pressure where I've got to where it's got to be in the forefront of my mind. Three weeks out, I'm not stressed out about it. I'm just kind of there's not the urgency of writing. I hear that. I don't think of it in terms of stress as much as I do in terms of sort of immediacy. I don't feel like it's in the moment. So it's, it, mm. it's more, if it would feel more yeah. like writing an essay or a chapter in a book than right. something. And I don't want to, you know, over spiritualize my sermon preparation. Like I'm directly receiving words from the Holy spirit. <laughs> How, however, it does feel like I have an urge in me to, to sort of see what's going to happen right then, not mm. right then in the moment, like on Sunday morning, but sort of in that run up right then. Yeah, well, I don't finish mine till Saturday afternoon. Generally, I mean, I just I sort of wait till the last. I don't I don't wait till the last minute. I mean, I leave enough time, uh, specifically on Saturdays. Um, at least I have for the past five or six years. But I I don't know for something. I, I try to wait as long as I can before actually kind of putting all my thoughts of the week together. But in terms of like 
planning sermons, the only one that I usually self-consciously sort of map out is Holy Week. So like have like a, an actual sort of walk from, from Palm Sunday to Easter morning and kind of have a, like a, almost like one long, you know, four hour sermon mm-hmm. <laughs> really is what it is, which would be fine at your church, man. Yeah, which would be 16 be, hours uh, at mass church. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> and for point number 19, I will, um, <laughs> Although I have to say, I went to, a, um, I was telling Nick, I was driving back from Houston, where I was, as y'all, our listener knows last week uh, with our new son, Bradford, and I stopped at Christ Church Anglican in Montgomery, Alabama, and it was, I was heartened, not only was it a big, beautiful church, but the uh, preacher went, um, it, it probably went about 30 minutes, the sermon, and I was like, all right, you know, Good. and everyone was seated. Yeah, I was glad to hear. I was encouraged. I came back and told, you know, told my staff, I was like, we've got, um, you know, we have precedent now. There's there's more than one other preacher <laughs> that goes longer than 20 minutes in ACNA, and I, I've got his name. So um, <laughs> you'll be you'll be glad to know, Matt, you're in the in the 30-minute club. It's like the five-timer club on SNL, you know, it's a special uh, group. Are we name dropping churches now? Can we offer the stand firm bump? <laughs> yeah, that's true. We should have a, <laughs> a list of any anyone out there whose preacher goes twenty five minutes or more. Let us know without the Matt Kennedy uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the guild, uh, the preachers guild. Because uh, if they let you do it, that's really a sign. I think you know you should be heartened by that. Because you know they could. So it's the old joke, you know, is that a long sermon? No, it just seemed long. Yeah, that's the old. <laughs> was that sermon too long? No, it just seemed too long. <laughs> well, I, 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 it took a while. It's like my, I, my congregation was like the frog in the pot. <laughs> anyway, yeah, 25 extra words yeah, like, right. slowly. Right. One, one more verse each week. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> We've been here for 17 hours. <laughs> Did you have to invest in like extra pew cushions? <laughs> no, you know, it's what's good. Probably the reason it works at Good Shepherd is because we have a whole bunch of people come, coming from other denominations. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're used to long, so they're used to, you know, 40, 40 minutes is kind of the standard in evangelical world when you have, you know, 30 minutes of music and then a 40 minute sermon and you go yeah. home. So, so people will just kind of like when they, a lot of people, when they came to Good Shepherd for the, just, kind of sat through the liturgy until the sermon came. And then some of them even, even we had to stop them from doing this, but some of them just left after the sermon. So, so, so. They thought it was over. Lock yeah, the right. doors. <laughs> Ushers lock the right. doors. Right, right. Well, well, you guys, we considered, as you know, pulling together our eschatology discussion for this episode, but our listeners going to have to wait for that. Uh, today, we decided to talk about something even more divisive, Doug Wilson and the Moscow, Idaho project. Now, in, in case our listener doesn't know, Wilson is the pastor of Christ Church in Moscow, a parish in the CREC, the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches. Wilson is known for a lot of things, but probably best known for the community that has grown up around Christ Church, often referred to by its detractors as a cult. Now, there's a ton that we could say about Wilson by way of introduction, and I'm sure we'll get to some of it during the course of the show. But the presenting issue today is a recent article that Kevin DeYoung wrote at Clearly Reformed about what he called the Moscow mood and Wilson's response to that article yesterday. And the long and the short of it is that DeYoung feels like many that Wilson undercuts all the good things he does with crass language and behavior unbecoming of a Christian pastor. So, guys, 
First of all, feel free to fill in more detail about what's going on. There is so much that could be said about Wilson and his voluminous writings. But what do you make of Doug Wilson and the Moscow mood? I mean, I thought I think I think I mentioned this to you off air last week, but I, I thought the one trenchant criticism that he made was I, I I don't personally see the need to use really crass crass language I, I i have no problem at all as you you know with the sarcasm i think i think it's a, a perfectly valid defense and although some don't i think it's a perfectly valid defense to show to show that in the scriptures we have the the why the full range of rhetorical devices used by prophets and apostles and and jesus himself from gentle coaxing to sarcasm to to biting sarcasm so i think those are those are all in play for for the christian i you know i don't think dropping f-bombs or, or or I think he's famous for dropping a C bomb. I think in mm-hmm. an article that he wrote. Yeah. Um, I just think that's ineffective, like rhetorically. I mean, it's it, it's I think it's I think it's also wrong for a pastor to, to use that language. But I think it's ineffective because because and he even mentioned it himself in his response that all everyone talks about with regard to that article is that word, and yeah. and they miss the gospel. He said he said the red hot gospel he put in there. Well, there's a reason why they miss it. But that's about the only thing I really agree with Kevin DeYoung on this. Doug Wilson is pulling out some of this language and aiming at other Christians. That that was one another one of Kevin DeYoung's criticisms. That, you know, yeah, okay, there's sarcasm in the Bible. There's 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 cutting language in the Bible in the Bible, but that's usually directed toward non Christians. Well, I would say that they do sometimes launch those kinds of verbal rhetorical flourishes out of the Christians. Although when when Kevin DeYoung mentioned that the Christians against which the uh, Moscow people have have launched them, you know, he, he included the ERLC in there. And I and I, I think it's a really you have to take the broadest definition of of an ally or broadest definition of a fellow conservative Christian to include ERLC in there. They're 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 going woke faster than uh, faster than anything. And Doug Wilson's right in in his response also that it, this the criticism for tone seems to be going one way. Um, the G three guys have right. been have been pretty brutal toward him, and so have many many woke evangelical people been horrible toward him. But but they they don't get criticized for it. Only only he gets criticized for it. So and I think it's in in a broader point, just talking about tone policing in general. I think that's broadly true. A feminist, egalitarian, liberal evangelical can use any kind of language he or she wants to come after a guy like Doug Wilson and ne- and will never be called McCarver for it because in, in our, 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 our way of looking at things, that person's a victim. But the minute, you know, white cis male, whatever <laughs> Christian does it, then, then it's out of bounds. No, I agree with all that, Matt. I, I like Doug Wilson. I mean, for the most part, I mean, I, I, I find a lot of what he writes. Uh, he's written about seven thousand books. Um, yeah. Like one every. It's, it reminds me of that SNL. Um, there's an SNL skit poking fun at um, how uh, prolific Stephen King is. And he was like, you know, he's like writing a book like every every three seconds. You know, anyway, it's like Doug Wilson has a book on everything. But um, but I remember reading that article where he uses the infamous c word and. Um, and I did sort of wince because I, I know what his detractors were going to say. And I you know don't like to see him getting um, unfairly treated. Although I have to say, if you read the article itself, he does. I mean, he is aware of what he was saying and how he was saying it. And he 
he does use it not just for uh, dramatic effect, but there's a very specific reasoning behind that he actually puts into the article itself. I mean, I'm not defending it. I'm with you, Matt. I think that, you know, I think it was, um, was it Kurt Vonnegut? I think he said, you know, he stopped cussing as an adult because it was hard enough for people to listen to you without giving them reason not to. Uh, but yeah, but I, I agree with you in that. But I, but I think all the other critiques that he responded to in particular, that Doug responded to Kevin, uh, I think were not baseless entirely, but they were, I think, aptly rejoined to by Doug. I mean, I think, you know, particularly the argument that said that they were sort of distancing themselves um, from other Christians, you know, up in Moscow uh, somehow. And I think, you know, that was the one I think in Doug's response, you could really feel his um, his sort of, I don't know what to say anger, but you could feel his the emotion behind it because, you know, as he pointed out, it's association with him is what gets people like disinvited from conferences or immediately written off. You know, like if you, if you, I mean, I've, I've, remember years ago, you know, we're sort of like secretly reading Doug Wilson for the very, the very reason he mentions, you know, cause it was like, if you mentioned him online or if you, if you had any sort of positive thing to say about what was going on up there in certain circles, uh, you were blackballed, you know? And I think, um, and I think his point is that, you know, he would be more than welcome to, to happy to be invited to anything. And yet, you know, it's, they have people have a hard time even getting people to come um, up to New St. Andrews to speak and things, you know? And so I, I think, I thought that was probably one of the, the most easily refutable criticisms that Kevin DeYoung made of the quote unquote Moscow mood that, that I think Doug um, aptly uh, responded to. I mean, the whole, whole point that he was uh, making in his response was that Kevin DeYoung on one hand, on the one hand is complimentary of his angular muscular Christianity which is what, and, and and the close community that he's built in Moscow. And and that's what people want. We need, a, we need angular, muscular Christianity to face down the challenges of our present declining culture. Um, but then the very things that make the Moscow mood muscular and angular are rhetorical, right? There's a lot, a lot of things that they're, they're uh, the, the rhetorical stance that Doug Wilson's taking is muscular and angular. So, so, so it was kind of a contradiction in Kevin's critique. And, and it's really difficult to know how, so if, if, if you don't use language, uh, the language, the language of sarcasm or, or, uh, biting humor or even, uh, ridicule like Elijah did to the prophets of Baal, how do you stand against the, the attacks coming at you? If you, you limiting yourself to, to quiet, timid, docile language is, I hate to use the word, but, and somewhat effeminate <laughs> in, the, in the face of, of the kind of challenges that we're facing today. I'm curious to know what you guys think about, and we've talked about the dichotomy between monastic retreat from society and uh, full-on engagement with the political sphere, the education sphere, and how Christians throughout the course of time have been called toward one or another, that there's an interesting way in which it seems like Wilson and his crew are kind of angrily accused of both. Like they're problematic because they're walling themselves off in this supposed commune in rural Idaho, but also they're creating Christian nationalism and 
they have their own schools and they have their own university. And this is a problem too. I wonder what, what would the natural outgrowth of a gospel preaching church that wanted to disciple its children and care for the families in it, wouldn't that end up looking like a community that was relatively insular and institutions growing up around that church that served the people of it? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the climate that we're in. Our culture is not safe to send your children out into unguarded. I mean, I, I don't think you can easily send your kids to public school um, in a way that you could 30 or 40 years ago. Not saying that, the, that some parents can't do that without uh, some, I know some parents can do that very well and, and they, they, they are able to, to guard their children's faith and hearts well enough. But I think in general, that's less and less wise. And no, I'm not only talking about elementary school and, middle school and high school, but increasingly, you know, not just not increasingly, I think even more so, universities and colleges, even Christian universities and colleges are becoming poisonous. So if you want to create a Christian culture, setting aside Christian nationalism altogether, but if you just want to create a culture and a community where you can raise children, where you don't have to be afraid of a college professor you know, trying to destroy your child's faith or that your, your, your kid's going to go off to college and come back with purple hair and uh, if it's a boy, a boyfriend, you know, if you, if you want to, if you want to create a, a, a <laughs> the actual... deepest fear of every 1940s parent, <laughs> right? Well, you kind of have to create it. You have to kind of create a, a, a parallel culture. And, and I don't think it's the same thing as a Benedict option where you're, you're walling yourself off because you're, I think you're right when you're saying a minute ago, Doug Wilson is not a wilting flower. And the men who come out of that, uh, out of Moscow are totally engaged in, in the world and they're trying to beat back Satan. And so they're engaging, but what they're not doing is exposing the weak to the wolves. And that, that's why they've created the community they have. And I think yeah. that's, that's what we have to do. I mean, the reality of the situation is that as always is the case that the people are being accused of the very thing that they're, they themselves are doing. So this idea that it's like an indoctrination cult up there in Moscow by the people who who we've now seen, particularly through the education system, through Zoom, have their own. It, it, it's not a question of whether or not there's an indoctrination or at least an attempt at a sort of formation going on. It's just to what direction, to what end. And so the real the real anger, I think, is in part because it seems to be somewhat successful. You know, you have not only are the families and the churches um, strong and courageous, but it's growing, you know, and I mean, there are books written to this uh, extent. I mean, I have a I forget the title of it, but there's an entire PhD dissertation on the the rise of you know quote unquote Christian nationalism in the Pacific Northwest or whatever or whatever you know. And in part, it's a sort of examination of what they consider to be a, a negative, uh, which is this attractive sort of Moscow um, you know uh, takeover. It, I mean, depending on what what side you're looking at it, um, but from within. You know, all they're looking at is that we're just building a we're building a Christian city like we're we're impacting the town. You know, they're running. I think some of the, the elders of the church ran for city council. You know, they try to be um, civic minded and publicly engaged. And that's all from a non-Christian perspective, something that should be very disturbing, and very 
concerning. And yet, to your point, Nick, I think that's a logical outgrowth of a decidedly Christian understanding of engagement with your neighbor. You know, loving your neighbor as yourself is involving yourself in his or her life in a loving way. And they see that as you know, buying businesses and running Christian, you know, organizations and taking part in the local economy and politics. And I, I think it's great. I think it's a great model. I mean, it's not a model. It's just that's what the majority Christians in, a, in any given city or town you would like to see them do. Well, it's the kind of thing that is you would unhesitatingly recommend to individuals. And it seems like nobody actually wanted it to work. Like the first person who runs for the school board from your church, that's wonderful. Everybody would think so. But then if you get two people on the school board, well, maybe we should stop. Like what, to what end are we getting on the school board? To what end are we opening businesses? Aren't we trying to impact the world? And that this is not by any stretch of the imagination, sort of an M night Shyamalan, the village situation where no one's allowed in and out of Moscow, Idaho. Like they are, People are moving there. That's part of the worry, right? That that they're welcoming people and evangelizing and discipling. And there are non-Christians who live in Moscow, Idaho. And as far as I can tell, they're welcome to do so. The sort of darkness of it is really hard for me to understand because it's – I read the book that you're referring to about conservative Christianity in the Pacific Northwest, and I cannot remember the title either. But the big it's negative – memorable. That, the big negative that I remember them sort of coming up with at the end, like the sort of almost the worst thing they could say was that some of the fiction that was being written by some of the members of that church was sort of survivalist and right wing, like the fiction, not the actual lives of the people, but some of the fiction was a little bit out there. And you, you mentioned Stephen King earlier, like if we're judging people, by their fictional fantasies, like then, then we're in a whole yeah. different, whole different category. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that's Doug's point: is that people are mad at it because it's it's working, it's seeming to work. And then he mentioned, you know, the high profile defections, particularly Jared Longshore and Joe Rigney, um, you know, who were five minutes ago very re- respectable in the evangelical world, and now they join forces with, you know, the great Moscow cult. You know, I mean to the detractors and they are the, you know, some of his biggest defenders now um, and, and, you know, part of this movement. And I think there are people who are rightly, if you're not a Christian looking at what's going on and are, and are worried, you know, they think it's a sign of things to come. And, you know, I think that would, well, I think they should be worried if, if, um, if, if they didn't want it to happen. And I think that there are Christians all over the country and I myself included who are encouraged by what's happening up there. And, you know, I would pray, I mean, what if, what if happened in Hilton Head Island? You know, what if everyone who said there was a Christian in Hilton Head Island actually, you know, began to, to, to order their lives in, you know, sort of a intentional way to sort of reflect and manifest in their particular spheres of influence, um, something of a Christian um, witness. I mean, it would, I mean, we'd have maybe articles written about us, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's what makes, it makes me think about certainly not a cautionary tale in any way. If anything, it's makes you want to go visit. (laughs) I feel like it's worth me saying just for our listeners benefit that I agree with Matt and don't see any reason for actual vulgarity. I have heard Wilson's defense of his use of that word. And I understand his defense and I, 
he he adamantly claims that it's not sinful. I don't exactly know how to make that categorization. I do think, though, with Matt, that it it has been undermining of his arguments. He will he will never live his use of that particular word down. He'll be answering that question for the rest of his ministerial life. So I think that he could have, and we should make our points as strongly as we can, but without giving people that latch to hold on to for easy dismissal of something that wouldn't otherwise be ordinarily dismissed. Yeah, I, yeah, that's, that's, that's true. And there, you know, I do appreciate uh, so much of Doug Wilson's work. We, we, we hand out when we do premarital counseling, we hand out his book, Standing on the Promises, which I think is probably one of the best, best books for young couples to read with before they have their children or if, if they're pregnant and just to think about how to raise children right, discipline them. Uh, that's one book I can just talk about. Off the top of my head that I would recommend to anybody, just really a lot of good work. At the same time, you know, there, yeah, there's, I mean, I, 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 you know, I'm Anglican, so I disagree with him on certain things. There, um, I, I think that I like the Moscow mood. I like the Moscow stance toward the world. Kevin DeYoung's critique was that there's something about that mood though that um that appeals to the to the flesh. Um and this is an area where I thought that maybe either and maybe I wasn't reading it correctly, but where I think Doug Wilson's response was a little bit off because he understood that as all right, well we're not worldly because worldly people seek seek and crave right. the the attraction of the world. And we don't or to attract the world, we don't want that. Um, but that wasn't quite what Kevin was saying. I think yeah. Kevin, what Kevin was saying was Kevin DeYoung. I'm, I'm not for I'm not in the first base first name basis with Kevin. <laughs> I think DeYoung was, okay. was saying right, 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 right. I think he was saying, well, there's a there's a kind of a an anger. Yeah. Yeah, vindictiveness. Yeah. 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 That, yeah that, that, that can be that can draw people to Doug Wilson. Wilson chose a very specific definition of a word to respond to, which was not the meaning that Kevin DeYoung meant. Yeah. And I I think that there's there's a point to that. I mean, I I, when you see people like, uh, you know, you see people like Kevin M. Young on Twitter. (laughs) Don't you mean Dr. Kevin M. Young on Twitter or (laughs) or the the other guy with the red beard? What's his name? Uh, Zachary Lambert. Zachary oh, Lambert, right. uh, all and all the all the familiar people. Yeah. You, you know, if you if you have if you have biblical sensibilities, you're enraged by that, right? You're, there's there's a part of you that just it just burns burns you up to see it. And so, I mean, so when you see someone as incisive and as clear as Wilson go after that stuff, it 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 cheers you, and it should. But you know, not everyone's Doug Wilson. Not everyone has that rhetorical skill. And there, and uh, and often, I think people might just read him and think, just an angry response is, "I'm doing the same thing that Doug Wilson's doing." Uh, mm-hmm. Being being a jerk, I'm doing the same thing Doug Wilson's doing. Uh, when actually, you're just being you're just being a jerk. So I, I I can hear that part of Kevin DeYoung's critique, and I think it had some had some more legs than Doug Wilson gave it gave him. Well, credit. I thought I thought about that a lot because. I, in part, was attracted to, well, not just Doug, but the Fight, Laugh, Feast guys, you know, Cannon Press, this whole thing years ago when I stumbled across them. I forget how. I think it was, I think they started the um, Fight, Laugh, Feast. It was like right at the beginning of COVID or maybe it was before that. But at any rate, like 
the way that they were talking was so at the time refreshing for me in, in a Christian context. And I, and I was wrestling with that because you know, first of all, I think that his detractors uh, overstate how sort of snarky and or mean, for lack of a better word, he is, because I, I really can't even the top of my mind uh, think of anything where I was saying, well, gosh, that's just outright mean or even even really uncharitable. You know, I mean, if anything, I think it's the it's the stances that they take just immediately trigger people. I mean, they could be speaking as, as, as gently as possible, but the things that they believe in are so offensive to, to kind of the world that it didn't matter how nicely they said it, you know, but that being said, I do think that there's a, a way of them dismissing and not really um, taking into account what the quote unquote world thinks of them in sort of a, 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 a I don't want to say like a mocking way, but it's just, it was just so refreshing. And so I don't know, you know, I, I wrestle with that because I don't, I don't want to be in a situation where you're just provocative for, for the, the sake of being provocative or just mm-hmm. sort of argumentative or contentious. But there was a confidence and for lack of a better word, a courage in the way that they were talking that um, was quite refreshing for me. And I, and I, and I remain um, encouraged by it. Um, you know, even in the midst of this, this discussion between him and Kevin, I found, um, you know, I think it's been fruitful and edifying, even in the midst of, of disagreement. I think the other thing that gets lost in the accusations of snark for snarkiness's sake, or the idea that Wilson and Longshore and Rigney and whoever are just, you know, throwing haymakers at the church and just making fun of people is the actual positive output of the church. And when I say positive, I don't necessarily mean that you need to agree with every word of it. But the actual teaching, like you referred to the number of books that he's written earlier, he's written books on parenting, he's written books on theology, eschatology, on all sorts of things, making offerings to the wider church. Now, again, you don't have to agree with him on everything, but he's certainly not just tearing people down. He and his, I mean, it's an amazing amount of stuff, resources that they have put out into the world that I think gets easily overlooked by this idea that they're just negative all the time. Yeah, that was so that part surprised me. And I thought I, I sort of parts of Kevin Young's argument surprised me because and I think I think I think it was good for Doug Wilson to say, look, uh or either you're you are completely ignorant and you should have done more reading, more investigate, more study before you wrote this article, or you're being disingenuous. I don't personally think that Kevin Young is being disingenuous. I think he just didn't it it just wasn't in the forefront of his mind. Well, it's not as much part of the mood, right? Like right. the mood is the cloud that overhangs everything. Right, right, right. So, um, but the the Douglas Wilson's right. There's just there's so many volumes of of really good stuff. There's good stuff. I mean, there's some stuff too that's not that great, but there's really good, helpful material that he's been churning out, um, been churning out for years. And I thought I thought that that was that led into his kind of brotherly challenge to Kevin DeYoung. You know, you've written this, um, and now you can't you can't be like you know Hamas and you know yeah. drop a bunch of bombs and then say let's have a ceasefire. You gotta <laughs> you you gotta finish this out to the end. And I'm not not the Kevin DeYoung is Hamas, but he can't say now <laughs> I'm gonna go off and I'm gonna go off on my I'm gonna go off and I'm gonna not say any more about this ever. He's launched a pretty significant critique of Doug Wilson, and I think Doug Wilson's right to say let's get together and talk. Let's have a face to face. 
Um, and if you have the integrity be, behind your art, your your words, then you'll you'll do that. Yeah, I thought that was probably the best part of the whole response to Kevin DeYoung was just like, you know, because because he pointed out that Kevin said, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to you know, basically engage with any of this anymore. And he's like, you can't do that. Like you can't, uh, you can't just make all these accusations and then hear the response and not finish the conversation. And so I really look forward to it because I think, I think that, you know, maybe there are some aspects that, you know, either we don't know, or maybe we're, we're blind to that, that will come up in which case we'll say, you know, they really should change some of the mood up there. You know, maybe there's something, um, but I also think that there's a lot of good things going on up there that um, should be at least considered to be emulated in in our local churches. You know, I mean, teaching people to sing the Psalms, you know, taking parenting uh, more seriously, you know, questioning uh, the value of public education, you know, over against these things. Like these are important uh, conversations to have. And this is this is an exciting development. You know, I think I don't know if Kevin DeYoung, you just feel like he he was. He, he was the one that had to get out there um, on behalf of, you know, kind of the evangelical complex and make the big studied critique. Um, and hopefully that will continue this this conversation and, and maybe we'll see all sides be better for it. I mean, that's the that's the hope. Um, I certainly have already been edified uh, by it and, and look forward to more. Well, to the extent that Kevin Young didn't sort of come up with this on his own, and I have no idea how this sort sort of story is assigned or if it was his idea, but to the extent that he was chosen by, you know, the evangelical industrial complex, I'm glad it was him. He's the exact kind of person that I'd love to hear have a long conversation with Wilson about these kinds of things. I think they'd be very fruitful conversation partners. Yeah, I do too. I look forward to it. I hope, I hope he takes them up on the offer. You know, at the end of his his response, he said, I'll be happy to go anywhere moderated by someone of your choosing with another theologian of your choice and let's talk it out. I mean, I think I, I'd pay money to see that. <laughs> I'd fly to go. I'd fly up there to, to watch that in person. Well, and Kevin DeYoung isn't really, I mean, I, I guess he, he is on, he is technically in the evangelical industrial complex or big Evo, whatever you want to call it. But, but he, he, he doesn't, he's not, he is not supine with regard to wokeness. He's, he's been very clear calling it out he he and, and i listen to his sermons quite frequently quite regularly and he doesn't miss a beat when it, when there's an opportunity to talk about the the damage that the the lgbtq movement has done or um or the or the misconstrual of biblical justice that that you see in the uh, coming out of you know critical theory thinking he's right on it so i i, I he's not like a you know russell moore or someone of, of that of that sort he's 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 definitely um a solid solid guy uh so yeah i think he i don't think i don't think he's beholden to anybody I, it sounded to me when i was reading the article i thought he he wanted to write it i thought he yeah. had a a desire to to say something and he didn't he was it sounded like he'd been working on or thinking it through for a long time what 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 is it about doug wilson that bothers me and he finally came up with it and he decided to write it <laughs> Yeah. Well, that, and that's what gives me hope that perhaps this will continue in this conversation, because I think it, at least from my reading of both of the men, and I don't know either one of them personally, but it seems like the, the areas of agreement far outweigh the areas of disagreements. You know, I mean, mood, tone, notwithstanding, in terms of actual con stated convictions on all the things like you were talking about, Matt. And so I think, you know, in this day and age in particular, if you have Christians who 
you know, nine out of 10 things you are in agreement with, uh, you might have a big disagreement on how you communicate that, which is part of what he was talking about with the tone. But, um, but I hope that that's not, uh, would not be a barrier to at least some sort of reconciliation, if not future fellowship, you know, maybe not maybe officially ecclesiologically, but, but at least, um, you know, continue this, this tone of this conversation is, is a step in the right direction. You know, and I think Doug recognized that he said, you know, this is a serious engagement with a, from a serious responsible person and it deserved a serious responsible response. And I thought, I, again, I, mean, I know I've said it before, but I'm, have been edified by the discussion and I hope it continues. Any final words? Uh, I don't exactly know what the final word on Doug Wilson would be. He's going to have written six things by the time this <laughs> podcast episode airs. Future Men is a good book, too. And so is uh, Why Children Matter. We've, we've been edified by those two in particular, just to throw that in there. Well, I mean, I think it's just, I'd like, maybe we, should, maybe we should end by talking about what, why, why does it even matter for, why, why would it stand, why, why does it matter for us to talk yeah. about Doug Wilson? I mean, it's, uh, why are we even doing this? And I would, in answer to that question, say that I I do think that the need to police tone has become a way of shutting down people from speaking. So uh, if you can attack the way something someone has said something, then you can avoid having to address what they've said. And so... I think that's why that's why I think that's why you see the tone policing far more from the going from the left to the right than the right to the left, because many on the left don't want to get into a biblical dispute or disagreement where where we're going into the text and talking about why you know, why transiting the kids is wrong, but it's much easier and it wins you more sympathy if you can be hurt and feel that you've been uh, abused by someone else's language. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but what's happening to Doug Wilson is, and what's, what's been happening to him for a long time, is a great illustration of a tactic that I think that, that we are going to be facing increasingly as the, as the culture continues to decline, of, of trying to deal with um, opposing ideas by demonizing the people who hold them rather than dealing with the ideas. I think we can be thankful that both Wilson and DeYoung and so many others who are involved in this conversation and conversations like it are so committed to, for whatever other rhetorical faults they might have, committed to the regular and relentless proclamation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ for sinners. And I think that we can all get behind. Amen. Amen. Well, that's going to be all the time we have this week. Thank you for listening to Stand Firm. If you want to keep the conversation going with us, please be in touch. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks to J.D. Koch and Matt Kennedy. I'm Nick Lannon. And Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. (music) 